Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is brought to you by Pestex Pest Control. Ben with Pestex sprayed my house a couple of weeks ago. A lot of folks probably think you don't have to spray for bugs in the winter because it's too cold for them. But here's what happens. Sometimes they just go dormant in cold weather. They lay low and they wait for a nice warm spring day and then they come out. And anyway, spiders can be a problem inside your house during colder months, which is all my family needs to hear. So we call Ben. Pestex is locally owned, uses pet-friendly products, and doesn't have a one-size-fits-all approach. They'll evaluate your pest problem and figure out how to solve it. So to get in touch, call or text 806-433-8841 or follow Pestex on Facebook or Instagram. And before we get started, I want to offer a quick thanks to Angelina Marie, who edits this show every week. She and I teamed up in early 2019. I used to edit this show myself, and she has been a lifesaver. This is her 100th show in the Hey Amarillo Edit Bay, and she is indispensable to this podcast, not just as an editor, but as a first listener to every interview, as a sounding board, a recommender of guests, and an all-around advocate for this project. She's a big, big part of the show, and she's also a great friend. So thank you, Angelina, and congrats on the milestone. Today's guest is Dr. James Avery Rush IV. He goes by Jave, and if his name sounds familiar, that's because his family is a fairly prominent one in the eye care field, which we talk about a little bit, but Jave isn't an eye doctor. He's a psychiatrist, and this is a good time to talk to a psychiatrist. From the economic uncertainty of the last few months, to the pandemic, to the inability to gather with friends, all of these things can be pretty substantial hurdles for our mental health. So we talk about that and how Jave ended up in his career. We also talk about some exciting new developments in psychiatric care here in Amarillo. I really enjoyed this conversation. So here's Jave Rush. James Avery Rush, welcome to the Amarillo podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being able to be here. And I should say you are James Avery Rush the fourth, um, but most people call you Jave. So is it okay if I call you Jave? Yeah, that's that'd be perfectly fine. Okay, so Jave, thanks for being on the podcast. I uh, I'd like to start. I know we've got a lot to talk about, uh, but I'd like to start the same place I do with all of my other guests and just ask you why you're here, how you ended up in the Amarillo area in the first place. Okay, well that's a great question. My family has lived here for quite a long time. As you uh, referred to me, James Every Rush the Fourth. There's uh, three James Every Rushes in front of me. Okay. My great granddad uh, moved here in the 1920s and was a small business owner. And then uh, he had James Every Rush Jr., who was my granddad that you know was very involved in this community. And then there was James Every Rush the Third, who is ophthalmologist and been practicing here since about 1980. And then, uh, you know, I was, you know, essentially born and raised here. I was born in actually Shreveport, Louisiana, when my dad was in residency training. Okay. And I have two brothers that are both physicians in town that are about the same age as me, and they were both born in San Antonio. And then uh, in 1980, my dad moved here, started uh, his ophthalmology practice. And so, that's kind of when my Amarillo story began. Okay, and I, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about your family, just because I, I know that the Rush family is, uh, well, like you said, very high achieving. Your brothers are uh, physicians. Your dad's an ophthalmologist. Do you know why, let's say, your dad or your granddad, like why they decided to, you know, make a life in this area? You know, why did your dad come back here after, you know, after doing his residency in other places? Um, well, I mean, he was, you know, born and born and raised here, uh, had a lot of friends here, felt comfortable here. Uh, my mom, who he married, is from Amarillo. And I think that when he went off to medical school and residency, he always planned on coming back here and serving this community. Myself and my brothers, you know, kind of, I think, had that same idea. Um, you know, most of my life has been spent in Amarillo, but I did go away, you know, to medical school and residency, but always had in the back of my mind, you know, coming back and serving this community, just feel very comfortable here, uh, know a lot of people here, and I, I think it's been a great place for me to live. Where did you go to school here in Amarillo? So 
I, you know, kind of all Emerald ISD schools. I went to Paramount Terrace for a little bit, then okay. went over to Sleepy Hollow. Was one of the first classes to be over there when that school was new. Went to Bonham Middle School, and then uh, went to Tascosa High School, and uh, graduated from there in 1995. Very much enjoyed going to Tascosa. Like I said before, I had two brothers that are about the same age, so we were all at Tascosa High School at the same time. Wow. And so, uh, and you know, just I, I, I thought I got a really good education in the AISD, and it prepared me well to, you know, do well later in life. And you know, uh, a funny story is, uh, you know, we were always did well in school, but our parents always wanted us to do the best, but never really didn't say you had to make this grade or that grade. And 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 funny enough, never said be a doctor. They okay. just wanted us to you know, do be passionate about things and, and, you know, do something productive. Um, but I ended up finishing in the Tascosa high school class third in grades, which, you know, sounds pretty good. Should be celebrating that. Right. And then my two brothers, uh, were valedictorian valedictorian oh, so from Tascosa. And you were a disappointment. Then. So, so they, so they make a joke, uh, that I'm like the slacker of the family, uh, of those three. So it's all relative, even though I did pretty well, I was, you know, comparative, those guys did, you know, better. That's okay. The uh, one of the people that finished ahead of me during my year at, or my graduation at Tascosa is now the director of NASA. So you know, there's the, we all have our uh, our high achieving dreams kind of dashed by some really smart kids in Amarillo. So tell me about college. Did you you know did you have any desire to just like get out of here, get away, um, or, or were you what were you thinking at that point? I think that I always thought that I would get away somewhere to go to college and, and medical school or residency, but I always thought I'd probably come back to Amarillo. Okay. Uh, that was kind of always in the back of my mind. What was the, your path then through college and, and medical school? Where'd you go? So I went to the University of Oklahoma, and I was actually a pretty competitive tennis player. Um, we have some pretty good tennis players in this area, and so I wasn't up to some of the other people in this area, but I, I was a scholarship athlete at the University of Oklahoma. Um, and was a pretty successful tennis player. And that's what kind of took me to the University of Oklahoma. And I did pre-med studies there. And then I went on to Texas Tech Medical School. I did two years in Lubbock, two years in Amarillo. And then I went on to uh, do residency training in psychiatry at Baylor Scott and White, which okay. is in Temple, Texas, just north of Austin. Did you know that you wanted to get into psychiatry from the so, beginning? Yeah, so no, not at all. I kind of went to medical school thinking maybe ophthalmology, uh, maybe something else I wasn't exactly sure. And, uh, during medical school is when I kind of fell in love with psychiatry and realized, kind of found myself, you know, staying later than I needed to be there, reading about it, enjoying it and really liking that patient population. So I, th that strikes me as, as interesting, you know, given your dad's career, I know that one of your brothers is also an ophthalmologist and that's a very, it's a very mechanical, you know, sort of practice. Whereas psychiatry, you're dealing with the brain. There's there's a lot of, you know, less less mechanical. Although, I mean, obviously there is some parts of that. So tell me why were you were drawn more in that direction? Well, um, you know, th that's exactly right. And actually, too, my uh, I've got two brothers that are ophthalmologists. Okay, here in so town. both of them, All right. and, and and a father. So there's yeah. actually three ophthalmologists. So you're still the black sheep. You're, I, you're not. So doing the... so I never got rid of that uh, black sheep. I'm still the black sheep. I, you know, I was trying to think of the best way to describe this, but when you're in psychiatry, you get to be with people at some of their lowest points in life, and I, I like. The, first of all, I think that's just a privilege and an honor for someone to, you know, share information. I get information shared with me that some people don't sp share with their spouse yeah. or their kids or their parents or people very close to them. And they entrust that to me. I take that, you know, extremely seriously. And I like the challenge of trying to help them crawl out of, you know, that valley that they're in and, um, you know, get out of there. And so I just, I, I just really find that challenging. And I am a, super competitive person, you know, always have been. And I, I feel like I just want to give my patients all that I have and do, you know, anything and everything we can, you know, medications, non-medication approaches, anything we can do, you know, to help them, you know, get out of, you know, their depression or whatever is going on, you know, mental health wise. So tell me, tell me about some of the things then that you do end up working with patients on. Is, is it, 
Is it more like, you know, some of the, the more serious mental health conditions? Is it, is it more of a therapy setting? Like as, as a practicing psychiatrist in Amarillo, like what are you focused on? So I mainly, you know, there's broad categories of things I treat, but, you know, major depressive disorder, um, generalized anxiety disorder, schizophrenia, which is a disorder of the brain. You know, people hear voices and see things that aren't there. Um, bipolar disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, ADHD, um, you know, sleep problems. A lot of people have that. Um, and then, you know, as we'll get into a little bit later, um, I, I treat uh, dementia and dementia-related problems in later life. And, uh, you know, that that's one of my, that's probably my favorite population to treat. Uh, I could get into why. why yeah, I, I mean, tell me why. Because, I mean, obviously that's a population that is, at least those types of, of treatments is becoming more and more important because we have an aging baby boomer population that's starting to deal with a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel like you're treating the whole family too, because, you know, the family sees, it's very hard to see kind of a lot of these people are the patriarchs of the family and seeing yeah. them, their, their mental functioning going down. And they were always the ones taking care of everything. And then later in life, they're, uh, you know, everyone's having to help them out. Um, and so I just like that challenge. I think uh, people, uh, you know, the senior population deserves a lot of respect. And I just really like, you know, trying to help them. Um, when I came back to Amarillo, so I came back to Amarillo in 2009. Um, I made a point, uh, I was very close with my granddad, you know, Avery Rush II Jr. and then his wife, uh, Janie Rush. And I would go out to dinner with them once a week at least. And so I was, I'd always been close with them, but I kind of got this close relationship, you know, from, 09 to 14, my granddad passed away then. And I think during that time and just being with them, I really kind of got this, you know, rejuvenated passion to treat the, you know, the geriatric population. I just liked being around them so much. And, um, you know, the more I dabbled in helping that geriatric population, the more I liked it. And and so that's uh, basically why I've tried to focus on that population. And I'm, I'm not super familiar with uh, the world of psychiatry. I know that a lot of surgeons will focus on a specific type of surgery that, that they are best at or that is most fulfilling. Do psychiatrists do the same thing? Like, do you kind of narrow down a specialty like a lot of doctors do? You, th there are some what they're called fellowships that mm -hmm. you could do. And, you know, there's like a child adolescent fellowship, and that's like extra training in that. Uh, you know, there's a chemical dependency fellowship that's a part of psychiatry um and and but there's you can get a general psychiatry residency which i did and you get training on all of that and so theoretically a lot of psychiatrists will do all of that we we have such few psychiatrists in this area that all the psychiatrists here are kind of doing everything okay that yeah that's one of the things i i also wanted to ask you knowing that there are very few psychiatrists in amarillo and especially a city like ours that's not just serving the two hundred thousand people here but 400, 450,000 people in the panhandle, you know, as a medical hub. Why is that? Is, is, is there anything you can point to that kind of explains that? Well, there's in, uh, all the data shows us that the, the psychiatry is the biggest shortage medical field in Texas and in the country. Wow. And so there's just not a lot of them. And for whatever reason, you know, you know, since there's a shortage, they tend to be able to pick wherever they want to go. And so, you know, a lot of them that live in Texas tend to go, you know, migrate to the bigger cities, Austin, Dallas, Fort Worth area, Houston. And so it is a it is challenging sometimes to, you know, recruit psychiatrists to this area. Okay. It's not an explanation like people have fewer mental health problems here than they do in other places. That's probably <laughs> what panhandle people would like to say, but Yeah, I think they'd like to say that, but I, I doubt think it's that's probably true. it's probably not true. It's probably the average of all other places. So I, I do want to talk about, uh, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because we have just gone through a year, 2020, that had a number of, I mean, very obvious mental health challenges attached to it, whether it's um, fears related to the virus, related to being out of work, related to you know, some of the, the chaos and the cultural conversations that we're having. Uh, I, I wonder if you could share a little bit about that. Have you seen within your practice, any changes in, in maybe the things people are dealing with or the numbers of patients who are dealing with things? Has, has it grown in the past few months? So I would, I would say, yeah, absolutely. In the last, since COVID, last really late February, March, I would say uh, the demand has grown. 
it's amazing how many times in my notes now I'm documenting, you know, one of the big stressors is COVID, uh, whether it be in the child adolescent population, just having to do school from home. Um, it's amazing how many kids tell me all they wanted to do was not have to go to school. And then now all they want to do is go back to school. Yeah. They're sick of the online. Um, you know, we, we have had, uh, you know, some job loss in the area, unfortunately related to COVID. And so that's always a big stressor. And so, yeah, I think without a doubt, mental health has increased and, you know, kind of in all ways. And, and we've just, you know, been trying to deal with the COVID. And I, I, I hope that it gets better, um, you know, as we, as, you know, the vaccine rolls out for COVID-19 and we get, you know, get better treatment for it. I, I wonder if what you've seen, um, you know, a lot of us think about that and they think, well, yes, I, I definitely had more anxiety over the past year or I was grinding my teeth so I know I was stressed. Uh, but you deal with people who maybe deal with obsessive compulsive disorder or schizophrenia, schizophrenia, some of the maybe the more serious mental health issues. Does a year like the one that we've had, does that push people even further into some of those challenges? Absolutely. You know, it's pretty known that people that have schizophrenia, for instance, if their environment is stressful, that can even exacerbate their symptoms even worse. You know, bipolar disorder, major depression, anxiety, all of those, if they were, you know, somewhat stable or even not good, they can get worse with environmental stress like we've had this year. How do you treat people when that environmental stress is hard to avoid? I mean, how do you help a patient like that? You can't just say, well, you know, go live somewhere where there's not a pandemic or, or you know, try this. There's there's this thing that's out of their control and out of your control, and yet you're trying to help them manage that. Yeah, so it is pretty challenging. So, you know, again, I normally take an approach, uh, you know, two approaches to help, you know, the medication approach and then the non-medication approach. And so I try to max out any type of medication that I think would help their situation. And and then I also try to, you know, focus on non you know, environmental uh, non-medication approaches, such as you know, individual counseling, but, you know, really focusing on things that we can control because, you know, we can't control the COVID-19 virus, but there are things in our life we can control and really focusing on the things we can control, not the things we can't control. Can you talk a little bit about the decision-making behind the use of um, maybe mental health practices versus medication? You know, I, I know there are a lot of people that don't want to use medication or they're worried that medication might might change, you know, have too many side effects beyond just uh, the mental health aspect. How do you, how do you navigate all that stuff? I mean, it's so it's, I mean, that's part of the, you know, art of psychiatry is every person is different and unique and, and trying to tease out, you know, how much of their depression is environmental and how much is actually biochemical. Um, there's a lot of folks that, you know, have depression, anxiety, and they don't really have environmental stressors, but they've got a large family history of this sort of thing. And so those are the people that are likely to respond to medication. And if someone it's more environmental, I, I try to focus more on, you know, uh, non-medication approaches, you know, to helping things. One of the things I like to do is, is kind of put interesting careers like yours in the context of the people who live here. You know, Amarillo uh, is, is a unique place. There's a unique mindset here. You know, people have a lot of pride in self-reliance or, uh, the independence that we have here. And I wonder if you see any of that impact in your own, you know, work with patients. Is is there like a resistance to therapy or a resistance to reaching out for help that some people have to overcome? Because that's that's kind of built into this culture. I can do it myself. I don't I don't need somebody to I don't need a shrink, you know, to tell me how to how to act or how to think. No, I think I think especially in Amarillo there there is a mindset of that in a lot of people, but I can tell you since I was in medical school and even over the last 15 years, uh, people are more accepting of mental health. It's, it's amazing how much it's changed. Um, you, you know, it's um, the medical community has accepted it more. Um, you know, I think probably 20, 30 years ago, psychiatrists might have even been kind of on the fringe of the whole medical community. Hmm. You, know, you know, now we're kind of an integral part of the community. You know, we do consults uh, with you know, I work side by side with a lot of the other physicians. And so, you know, they kind of understand that, you know, uh, mental health is a pretty big deal. When the, uh, you know, I work with the medical school, Texas Tech Medical School, and uh, during their third year, they have six core rotations and psychiatry is one of them. Okay. So, so medical schools uh, realize that psychiatry 
you know, the six core rotations, surgery, family medicine, internal medicine, pediatrics, OBGYN, psychiatry. All right. And so it does get, you know, the medical schools certainly back that. And so I think even the doctors that are trained now get a good background in psychiatry to realize that it is an integral part. It's important. I tell my patients when they show up and some of them for the first time, I tell them that it takes a lot of courage to come in and just get help. Hmm. And so, you know, I really appreciate them coming in and taking that first step because, you know, it, some people in this culture do think of that as weakness, asking for help, you know, in anything, uh, certainly mental health problems. So I think it is a step of courage to actually ask for help. Are a lot of your patients coming to you on their own or are they being referred there by like a, a general physician or someone? It's probably a mix of both. So anyone can come for help that they want, but a lot of them, it's probably 50-50. Okay. One of the things I, I think that's exciting and that I know that you're involved with, you mentioned the lack of resources related to mental health, or at least the the numbers here are not quite as, as large in other parts of the state. Uh, but I know there's a big behavioral health facility that's opening here in Amarillo that you're involved with. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, there's a new mental health facility called Oceans Behavioral Health. It's uh, Oceans is a company based out of Dallas-Fort Worth, and they uh, have graciously decided to open up this facility in Amarillo. Um, they asked me to be their medical director. Um, I could I could go into a story of how I knew the CEO of this company, but um, you, you know he contacted me. Uh, we kind of talked about it. I you know I'm very passionate about mental health in this area, especially. And uh, this hospital is actually going to be a geriatric psychiatric hospital, and what okay. that means is it's going to be 50 and above. Um, so it's going to be specifically focusing on, you know, the geriatric population, you know, people with dementia, with behavior problems will be there, but also people that are just above 50 that are having mental health problems. It's going to be a 28 bed facility. It's on the, it's in the Vibra hospital on the second floor. It's kind of across from Joe Taco okay. over yeah. there, kind of in the, it's some people might know where that is. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's great. And, uh, I think, uh, the administrator for the hospital was telling me that it's going to 100 plus jobs in Amarillo it's bringing here. And I mean, that's great for Amarillo in a time when a lot of people are not hiring. Uh, we have some some new good jobs coming into Amarillo. So I was excited about that, too. So I think it's, you know, all good for Amarillo. Tell me how that facility is different from maybe a memory care facility or an Alzheimer's unit that some people might be familiar with, you know, that already exists in Amarillo. That's a great question. So there's already, there's memory care units and on, in nursing homes or, you know, there's memory care units. And so this is a short term stay place. And so if someone in the memory care unit was having behavior problems Mm -hmm. that were affecting that unit and hard for that unit to deal with, they would send them over to us. They would stay with us for a couple of weeks or, you know, however long it took us to, you know, medicate them in some way or figure out some way to get there, you know, get to the root of the problem of what's going on. And, you know, uh, meet with the family, you know, figure that out. Another common patient that we'll see over there is someone living at home where maybe the the kids are taking care of them at home and this person is wandering around at night or calling the police because they think people are out to get them or they, uh, you know, are just kind of declining in some way. And so a lot of times they'll come to our facility. We'll, we'll see what we can do. We'll give them recommendations. And sometimes they'll go to a you know, a skilled nursing facility from there. Sometimes they can go home with home health, you know, and we would meet with the family and kind of figure out what was best for, you know, each individual. What do you know about the, the thinking of oceans and deciding to put that facility here in Amarillo? And so I I know quite a bit about that. Um, We have a lot of, uh, you know, geriatric population in Amarillo. And so that's one of the things I looked at. We have a lot of uh, nurse skilled nursing facilities in this area. We have memory care and then there's a lot of just surrounding area with with a lot of nursing homes, and so I think we just have a we have a big geriatric population in this area. And I mean, you mentioned before Amarillo might be two hundred thousand, but the you know the medical community serves four hundred fifty thousand, maybe even more, depending on how far you go. We get you know people from liberal Kansas and southeast Colorado, yeah. and eastern New Mexico, western Oklahoma, all come to Amarillo for medical care. And I'm I'm curious with the short-term care that you provide with, with patients who, you know, maybe have problems, you know, that, that prevent them from being properly treated, you know, in the Alzheimer's unit of a nursing home. I've, I've known family members who had dementia and it made them 
super nice and happy and kind and joyful. And then I've had family members who had the same dementia, but it made them angry, you know, or it, it made them act out in other ways. And I wonder if you could tell us, you know, for people that are, are dealing with that in their own families, from a mental health perspective, what's happening? Do, do you have any idea why certain people kind of go in a certain direction when they deal with this? I mean, I wish we did. I wish we knew more. You know, Alzheimer's dementia right now, there are some treatments for it, but they're, you know, not as good as we would like. You know, there's some medications out there. They help more towards the beginning of the illness and to slow the illness, but we don't really have anything once you've progressed to the end there. And you're exactly right. Some people are super friendly and nice, and those would certainly not be the ones in this hospital. Right. But then some um, are the nicest people. And if you knew them when they were younger, you know, the family will say, this is just not, you know, my dad or not my mom. They weren't, you know, like this before. And, you know, they get, I, you know, I see this one where they'll think the family's stealing money from them. Right. Or they think that, you know, you're, you're trying to lock them up or, you know, all kinds of things. And so you really, the, the, in, in that case, you know, the medication is really important because a lot of these folks can get medicated and actually be a lot less anxious and a lot happier. And the, you know, so it really makes a big difference trying to help these problems and they're treat, they are treatable. And I know the science and the medicine is, you know, is, is learning more about that all the time. Do you have any idea what's happening in the brain to kind of flip those switches to change personalities like that? Or if we knew why that was happening, we could fix it, I guess. I mean, yeah, I know. I think that's the truth. Um, we, you know, we know generally that there's extra firing going on in the brain with a lot of neurotransmitters and a lot of these medications that we're using are blocking that extra firing. And so, you know, a simplistic term would be someone with schizophrenia, uh, you know, if they're hearing voices that other people don't hear, their, their brain, you know, to them, that's real. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, they do hear that voice, even though, you know, you and I might not hear that voice. And so there's extra firing and extra neurotransmitters in the brain and the medication we give actually blocks that extra firing and brings it down to normal. And so, you know, I've seen many times where someone is hearing a voice, I know they're hearing a voice and we put them on medication and that voice goes away. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very, you know, satisfying part of being a psychiatrist to see, you know, improve someone's life like that. How does, how does this directing, you know, this new facility, how does it change your career? Do you, does that make you switch from seeing patients all the time in a, you know, a therapeutic kind of setting, a, a private practice to doing this full time? Or do you divide those things out? So I'm going to still divide things out. And, you know, what I do, you know, what I plan on doing, you know, personally is I, I work some over at Northwest Texas Pavilion as well. And there's a child adolescent day program over there that I run. And so I'm going to still see those children um, and then I'm also going to be spending a lot of time over at Ocean's Behavioral Health. And, and then I do have um, a private practice. There's a, there's a new, I'm, I'm one of these psychiatrists that is always kind of seeing what the latest new thing is mm -hmm. and, and following everything. And there's a, there's a newer treatment out there called Spravato for major depression. And I have a Spravato clinic. And this is it's a newer treatment for uh, folks that, you know, have tried a lot of medicines and nothing's working. And that's another population I really, uh, seek to help. And that is the folks that have tried a lot of things and, and nothing seems to be working. And, you know, I like to, you know, kind of think outside the box and try something with a, with a new mechanism and see if we can't get them feeling better. Is Spravato a technique or is it a medication? So it's a medication. Um, have you ever heard of ketamine? Yes. So it's nasal ketamine. Okay. And it's actually just got FDA approved in March of 19. And so what's, what's nice about it is for most folks, insurance covers it. And, um, I've been doing that for a while and, and that I've seen good results with that treatment as well. So, um, you know, I want to tell anyone listening to this, that there's always new medications out there, you know, don't lose hope there. There's, you know, I, I'm a big believer in science. I mean, I, you know, what, what we've done with the COVID-19 vaccine is just amazing mm -hmm. I mean, doing that in as quickly as they, as they have. And so, you know, I'm just a believer that, you know, at some point in the future, we're going to have better treatments for Alzheimer's dementia. We're going to have better treats for, treatments for depression, anxiety, schizophrenia. We're going to learn more about the brain. You know, every year we learn more, you know, and get better at treating these things. You kind of mentioned on the fly the relationship that you had with the CEO of, uh, of Oceans that, that's bringing in the facility here. Um, tell me about that connection and, and how you got involved with that. So that's, yeah, that's a great question. I've been involved with a, with a tech startup called Forefront Telecare, and it's basically a telemedicine psychiatry company. Okay. And 
I was a very earlier adopter of telemedicine. Uh, it, it made a lot of sense in the Texas Panhandle. I was seeing folks in Borger and Pampa and all over that couldn't get a psychiatry appointment, but I could, you know, virtually see them immediately. Okay. What and, does early adopter mean? I mean, the, the last two years, 10 years ago, I mean, how, how long is that? 2012, 2013. Okay. So, you know, quite a bit before, you know, now with COVID-19, everyone accepts it. Uh, in 2012, 2013, people kind of scratched their head and weren't sure this really would work. Okay. And so it's the, the progression this year, it's been pretty amazing. Um, but it made sense for you being here in Amarillo and having people from Stratford or someplace that, that needed to, to work with you. Yeah. The, the, the original reason I even got into telemedicine was I wanted people in small communities around Amarillo to be able to see, receive first class, you know, mental health care, not have to drive one hour, two hour. And then I knew I couldn't drive one or two hours just to see one or two patients. It didn't make you know, sense. And so I, I kind of built this network of telemedicine and then I connected with this startup that, uh, you know, we met cause it's kind of a small community and I kind of joined forces with them. And over the last, you know, five years, I've helped them start, uh, 25 geropsych hospitals, you know, in rural parts of the country. Okay. And one, we worked with an oceans hospital. And so the oceans, uh, CEO knew me and so then when this Amarillo opportunity came up, he, that's how he called me and said, hey, we're, we've got this Oceans Hospital and, you know, we're going to start this up in Amarillo. And then me, having started all these hospitals all over the place, and then my love for Amarillo, I was like, of course I want to start one of these in Amarillo because I know there's a huge need for it. And I was super excited, so I, I really jumped at that opportunity. So that, that provides a really good transition then um, in thinking about Amarillo. I mean, obviously you have an interest in – uh, technology and startups. Um, I know that your dad and your brothers have been on the cutting edge of a lot of the techniques, you know, that they've been doing in terms of eye care. I, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about, I don't know, I mean, you, you'll be speaking for your family, but like, why is your family invested so much in this area? When obviously you could be doing the work that you do anywhere else, you could be finding the same success anywhere else. Um, why here? Like, like, why have you poured so much into this area? I mean, it's our home. I mean, we just, we've, you know, raised here and, you know, we see this as home. My, my granddad and my dad, you know, always taught me and my brothers that, you know, even in Amarillo, you can do world-class things and, you know, there's no limit to what you can do. You know, that's kind of what we were always taught, you know, to work hard, you know, do what we can do. You know, I would like to say some nice things about my, you know, granddad, Avery Rush, James Avery Rush II or Avery Rush Jr. As people knew him. He was a, you know, he worked for Shamrock Oil, uh, which was later Diamond Shamrock. Mm -hmm. And he was the top executive in the 70s and early 80s. And then in 1985, he retired and he kind of went into just major Amarillo mode. And just he was involved in about every, you know, not-for-profit type of thing in Amarillo you could be. He was on a lot of boards. He was the president of Boys Ranch. Uh, my family's always been extremely involved with Boys Ranch. My dad's on that board now, and they're just, you know, big believers in, you know, giving back to this community. You know, my dad, uh, you know, not to, he probably wouldn't even like me saying this stuff, but, you know, he's, people that know him, he's probably the most generous guy I've ever met, and I've met a lot of generous people. Mm -hmm. Um He's, I would call him almost foolishly generous. He's generous to a fault because he just, he, he really is generous with his time, his money and everything. And I just, some of the things he's done over the years in Amarillo, I, I feel like I've, you know, kind of absorbed what he's done and seen. And, you know, I'm just like kind of amazed at some of the stuff that he does. If it's okay, I was going to share a couple of things that he did that, you know, people might not know, but are kind of cool things in Amarillo. There's, um, there's a scholarship called the Randy Keller Scholarship. And so we, a lot of people don't, we, that Randy Keller scholarship is out there and it's, you know, it's kind of progressed and now it's a $20,000 scholarship. And um, a lot of people don't know what was behind that scholarship, but it was, you know, Dr. Avery Rush, uh, you know, knew Randy. Uh, he, my dad coached me in Little League uh, growing up and uh, Don Keller coached, you know, Randy in Little League and they were, you know, friends from that. And, you know, he was really heartbroken when that happened. And he just went and started a scholarship for hmm. Randy. And it's, you know, I think it started out smaller and it's kind of progressed. And when my dad kind of gets behind something, he, you know, goes pretty big. And so the scholarship has turned into the biggest scholarship in the AISD right now. 
and that's I'm on the board with that with him, and so we get to see these wonderful kids come through. And I mean, that's just kind of a small way that he's given back, and he would never say that he's doing anything like that. And I'm just you know really proud of that. You know, just a smaller story. He there's a uh, charity called Mission Cataract. I don't know if you've ever heard yeah, of that. Yeah. But it's you know that was basically started by my father and the Panhandle I group here does. You know they didn't do it this last year because of COVID, but Every year they do these cataracts on people that can't afford them otherwise. And, you know, it's something really good. And he's, you know, big, been a big driver in that. There was a patient, um, this, this kind of will tell you what kind of person he is, but I was treating this patient, um, we'll call him Mr. X, that was over at the Pavilion Day program. And Mr. X was so blind, um, he, he had to have people help him walk down the hallway. And he was homeless. And when he came into my office to talk to me, you know, he was depressed, but I could actually see the cataracts in his eyes, hmm. uh, that they were so big. I, I called over to my dad and said, you know, we've got this guy and he's, he was like 60, you know, didn't have any insurance. And I said, you know, he, he's blind, you know, he's depressed. And, you know, before I could even say anything, he just said, you know, we'll get him in for cataracts, you know, one day from now, uh, you, you know, just immediately, you know, I didn't even have to ask him. And I just, you know, I was kind of just blown away that, you know, just things like that. And I mean, I could go on and on and on, but he's a, you know, really generous guy um, and, and wants to help Amarillo, uh, especially. So I'm curious about, you, you touched on it a little bit, but just about the upbringing, you know, that the three of you boys had all ending up, you know, very high achieving in, in high school, but going into careers where you have a lot of innovation, you have a lot of um, technology involved, a lot of research involved if if there was something in your childhood and your upbringing you know that kind of drove you all in this this same direction maybe you're doing different things uh but you're all pursuing it with that same kind of drive can you identify anything i mean you're the you're the psychiatrist can you look back and say this was one of the things that kind of jump-started everything for us um i just i give a lot of you know um i think i'm probably about 50 percent my mom 50 percent my dad uh I haven't really mentioned my mom, but you know her name's Lynn Rush, and she she was a big part of all three of us. And so I'd be crazy if I didn't mention her. Um, and I think uh, she was a very always pushing us and helping us to do our best. Um, somehow growing up, I remember things were not that important to me, even though my parents always had every opportunity, and I just had a re- really good childhood. But you know things like making good grades, winning tennis matches, things that were non-tangible mattered to me. And, uh, you know, actual things didn't matter to me that much. And, you know, I think I'm still kind of think that way, that, you know, there's something, non-tangible things mean more to me than tangible things. And, and I'd say that's kind of how they raised us. And they, you know, were very positive and always told us, you know, the sky is the limit and they, you know, ex, you know, expected a lot out of us, but they never pushed us into a certain direction. They kind of let us pick our own direction. My, you know, a lot of people will ask me, was your dad upset that you didn't do ophthalmology? And he actually encouraged me to do psychiatry because hmm. he thought it fit my personality pretty well. So he was actually very encouraging from that standpoint. What is it about your personality that makes it a good fit with psychiatry? Like, like what, is a, what does a successful psychiatrist need to be, you know, beyond that? What kind of personality is, is good for that? I mean, someone that's li- that'll listen, uh, you, you gotta be a great listener. And I, I think too, you, patients can tell this, but you, you, you need some, you need a caring type personality too, that, you know, cause you, you really are with people in some of their lowest points in life and you're trying to, you know, help pull them out of that. And so it's a different, you know, certainly a different, uh, type of treatment than ophthalmology, like my the rest of my family is in, you know, they, they're used to someone coming in, they take the cataract out, they put a new lens in, everyone is happy. You know, the patients I get, it isn't like that. You know, we, yeah. you know, there's not just take a pill, you feel better the next day. Most people, it doesn't work that way. It's a, it's a process. It's a, you know, you, you walk with them in this process. And so it's, you know, and every person is different, you know, so you, you can't really treat anyone the same because everyone is so different. Hey, Amarillo is sponsored this week by Terra Accounting and Consulting. Now, I own my own business, and I want to be real clear. Wearing multiple hats like I do is really difficult. It's not for the faint of heart. And a lot of entrepreneurs, because they're trying to do everything, can find themselves reaching stages of burnout. 
So anytime I can outsource stuff that's beyond my expertise, that is a really good decision. And Terra Accounting and Consulting understands this. They're a CPA firm built for entrepreneurs and doers like me. They help business owners build financial strategies that pave the way toward increased profitability and personal financial growth. So call Terra Accounting to schedule a consultation today and mention this podcast. Tell them that uh, you heard about it on Hey Amarillo and you'll receive $100 off any service. When it comes to accounting, payroll, bookkeeping, and tax prep, consider it done with Terra Accounting and Consulting. That's T-E-R-R-A. Okay, I'm back with Jave Rush. Jave, this is a part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes at least eight fossils that reveal the Panhandle was once a swampland, uh, including a, a six-foot-long amphibian, um, which is always fascinating to me. You see stuff that shows that this was like a tropical rainforest at one point. Uh, so you can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, so this is eight straight. This is the part of the show where I'm going to ask you eight straight questions as my guest. A lot of the same questions I ask other guests, uh, and am interested to hear how you respond to them. So the first one, I've been asking this pretty regularly over the past few months. What is one thing that 2020 has revealed to you about local people? To me, it's revealed uh, that this area in particular has a lot of generosity, caring spirit, and a lot of bravery. Um, I can speak from the side of, you know, hospital workers, you know, I've been working a lot at Northwest Texas Hospital, and I got to, you know, experience just the healthcare workers, not just doctors and nurses too, everybody coming in there. And it was back in March and April when we didn't know what was going on, people still came in to help their fellow neighbors. And it just, you know, the bravery and the, you know, the medical community here really stood out to me. I've thought a lot about, you know, obviously we think about the doctors and nurses, people who are treating patients, but also you have, you know, custodial staff, you know, who maybe didn't sign up to be in the medical field, but they've ended up working in a hospital in a very dangerous time. And they're the ones cleaning up rooms, exposed to things. And I, I think about that a lot, that, that it's not just, you know, the high profile individuals who are serving at, at such high capacity and at such risk. Yeah. And it, you know, like I said, especially in back in March and April, we didn't know how contagious it was, how deadly it was. And I mean, people weren't calling in sick. People were showing up and helping this community out, you know, from the top down. And so I was, I was just very impressed with that. What does this area have too much of? I believe we have too much construction. Yeah. Too many potholes. And uh, this is going to be a new one for you, but I'm going to say lights that are not very well timed. Okay, like like traffic lights? Traffic lights. So I can agree with that. So I, I drive on Coulter every morning to work in the medical community, and I probably waste 10 minutes every morning where if the lights were timed a little better, I could use those 10 minutes. And I think, you know, Bell and Sansi are probably the same way. So if there's anyone that listens to this that could fix that problem, I'd love it. I'm, I'm sure there are. There's nothing worse than getting through a light, building up your speed, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the next one just changes immediately, and it disrupts the whole flow of traffic. And Amarillo seems to just have too many of those on yeah. too many streets. Yeah. Okay, good. What does this area not have enough of? So we kind of touched on this earlier, but Amarillo doesn't have enough psychiatrists, child psychiatrists, and neurologists. Um, you know, very shortaged in the state, like I said, and even more shortaged in this area. I think there's about... And psychiatrists covering the 450,000 people. Wow, that few. That few, and there's even fewer neurologists. Um, you know, we, we unfortunately lost one of our neurologists this year, Dr. Lewis, who was a great doctor, and, you know, I looked up to him. And so, um, you know, we, I would love to see more psychiatrists and neurologists, especially child psychiatrists, come back to this area. Is there a plan in place to address that? I, I know that there are a lot of you know, maybe small towns that work hard to, you know, connect with or, or sign contracts with, you know, young medical students to come and serve in that that community for a certain number of years. Is, is anything like that been discussed, ways to bring more psychiatrists to the area? Absolutely. Um, I touched on earlier that Texas Tech, uh, we're in the process of trying to do a psychiatry residency. Um, I, you know, we're pretty far from that right now and COVID put us a little behind, but my hope is someday there'll be a psychiatry residency and statistically about one out of four, if there's a class of four every year that graduates, 25% stay within a hundred miles of where they train. Okay. 
And so if we could just get that going, I think eventually we would solve that problem. Okay. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? You know, I think the normal things, it's a nice place, really nice people, you know, relatively low cost of living if you compare it to Dallas-Fort Worth or even bigger cities. Um, one thing I want to add to that, though, is, is that we have a great medical community here in Amarillo. And um, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say we have world-class medical care. If I'm going to do most medical procedures or see most doctors, there's no need to leave Amarillo. Hmm. If I'm going to have... Uh, if I was going to have shoulder surgery, you know, you can go have Dr. VZ do your shoulder surgery and he's going to do a great job. If you want to see a cardiologist, there's a lot of good cardiologists here. Um, you know, if you want to go to a hospital, BSA and Northwest, both of them are great. You know, I've been working, you know, a lot at Northwest and I'm just, you know, really impressed with Northwest, you know, the, the care that they give this community. And so I think that's one of the underrated uh, parts about Amarillo. I don't think People realize how good our medical community is and, and medical center and the experts we have. We have great cancer doc treating doctors. Yeah, yeah. We're building this new cancer center. Um, you know, certainly that Panhandle Eye Group does, you know, ophthalmology, but I think, you know, it's just been a, you know, I'm really impressed with that. So I would tell people that, that it's a great medical community. Okay. What's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? I've heard this answer before. I'll, I'll give you a couple, but, you know, I've heard the Indian oven uh, answer a lot. My family pre-COVID probably ate there once a week. Yeah. Uh, we, we go there a whole lot. Um, you know, I also like Tacos Garcia. That's another place that we frequent a lot. Tacos Garcia on Ross or the original one on the Boulevard? The Probably Ross, um, but I should go to the Boulevard one too, huh? I, I hear great things about both. So I, I, I think the original, uh, a lot of people always will say the original is the best one, but who knows? Yeah. What's the most underrated aspect of living here? I don't know if you'd call these underrated, but... You know, you know, when you live somewhere else, you know, I've lived in some other places. I mean, I, I really think the cost of living, uh, and I, I, mean, I was complaining about the traffic, but relatively there's not that much traffic here. You know, if people, people were listening to this from Dallas and they're like, he's complaining about wasting 10 minutes, man, we waste 45 minutes, yeah. you know, whatever it is. So nice traffic. Um, I also think we have a good airport here. Um, I know some people that are used to bigger airports would want a bigger one, but you know, really, in two flights, you can be just about anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, they've got more direct flights now, so I'm pretty proud of our airport that I can basically be anywhere I want in two flights. And I always know going to the airport in Amarillo that you don't have to arrive two hours early to get through security or anything like that. It takes maybe 10 minutes on a busy day. So <laughs> that that's always a benefit. Yeah. Okay, when was the last time you went to the Big Texan, speaking of restaurants? So I, I really love the Big Texan. I, you know, it's mainly people passing through that eat there. But um, when we have uh, family friends that come through town, all of them want to eat at the Big Texan. Really? So typically, when if you see us there, we'll probably be with friends from out of town. But we probably eat there once every few years. Okay. And it's with friends from out of town because they really want to eat there. Are the friends typically satisfied with that experience? Like, does oh, it meet yeah. their expectations of yeah. what they're going to get? Oh, absolutely. And every time we go there, too, it's crowded. We have to oh. wait. Three so, in the afternoon, it could be crowded. So, so probably we would, we might even eat there more if it weren't so darn crowded all the time, but we just don't want to wait an hour to, to be seated. Okay. And last question, what's your favorite Amarillo neighborhood? Um, I'll, I'll give you two, uh, just cause I grew up in a lot of these two neighborhoods, Sleepy Hollow and Lake Tanglewood. Okay. Um, we, we had a house out at Lake Tanglewood and spent a lot of time out there and I think it's a really unique community out there. And then I just, Sleepy Hollow is kind of a lot of childhood memories from that neighborhood. And so love that neighborhood as well. All right, Jave, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to end by asking my guest to endorse something. So what's one thing that you would like listeners to know about or to experience? You know, I've talked a lot about my family and there's a, there's another amazing thing my family's doing that, you know, a lot of people in Arrow probably don't know. And so I'm going to do, it's called chosen eye ministry. Mm -hmm. And I think the website is, you know, www.chosenimission.com, chosenimission.com. And basically, my brother Ryan, who I've talked the least about, uh, is ahead of this. And my dad is heavily involved with this. And they're going on about four to five, pre-COVID, four to five mission trips a year in underserved parts of Mexico. Okay. And doing four to 500 cataract surgeries per trip. And they're about to transition into going to Nicaragua. And, and doing multiple trips there in Nicaragua, 
has very few uh, surgeries and ophthalmologists in that country as well. Um, it is a, a Christian ministry, and so um, you know that's they, they go share the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, along with doing these eye missions, and uh, you know a lot of you know ophthalmologists. I'll, I'll mention a couple other guys. Doctor Alan McCarty is pretty involved with mm -hmm. that. There's a pastor in town named John Kohler that is you know extremely involved with that and. Um, there's another doctor. He lives in Florida, but he's from Hereford, so I'll give him a shout-out named uh, Rob Reinauer that's pretty involved with that. And so, um, it, you know, again, just kind of blows me away that, you know, one of just a huge impact they're having in the world, and this is done right here in Amarillo, you know, people making an impact in the world like that. So I'm just can't even say how proud of them I am, that I am. And, you know, you can go on the website and look at it. I know that anyone that ever donated to this, I think it's they've gotten the cost down to like $200 is fixes someone's eyes. Wow, okay. And they do like first-class surgeries too. They have all the equipment. They do the same surgery down there that they do here in Amarillo. Okay. And so it's just just amazing. Wow. And there's just a lot of information on that website. If I, you know, people people in Amarillo are certainly uh, you know, really generous, but just something interesting to see that your fellow Amarilloans are doing here and so I would just close in saying that I, I hadn't talked about this, but I, it'd be, uh, if I didn't share this, it wouldn't be like sharing all of me. And that is like, you know, Christ is my, you know, Lord and Savior, you know, the thing I think about the most and, you know, just really appreciate, you know, how blessed I've been, you know, through that sacrifice he did for me. All right. Jay Rush, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Jave for the original interview. You can learn more about Oceans Behavioral Hospital at oceanshealthcare.com. Thanks also to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, Pestex Pest Control, and Terra Accounting and Consulting for supporting the show. This episode, of course, was edited by Angelina Marie. And the podcast itself exists every week because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially, especially through patreon.com slash Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Barbara and Jim Witten, Chris Elda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Jess Heredia, Joshua Rafe, and Ryan Pennington. This has been episode 182. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>